0: taking one book a week and doing a, a very high level, um, just kind of overview of the book. Uh, and and these are not verse-by-verse verse studies, uh, but yet there are still some wonderful truths and principles that we find, uh, even in the the overview of these things and the uh, the onset. 2 uh, Kings uh, is, of course, a continuation of 1 Kings when these were uh, originally written, they were written as a single book. Uh, it was not until later um, when they uh, did the um, <coughs> excuse me, the Septuagint, that they decided to move them into two books, primarily because of the space that it was taking uh, to write them. They were written on scrolls, uh, papyrus scrolls, and because the uh, Greek language took more room to write than the Hebrew language, uh, mainly for reasons of, of space, they broke them into two books. Uh, we spent last week dealing with 1 Kings, which deals with um, the time of David uh, and Solomon until the end of Solomon's reign, and then we have uh, the kingdom is divided at that point. There are two people that come into power. Uh, Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon, uh, is, becomes the king of Israel. And um, they, uh, they are the northern, what are referred to as the northern kingdom. There are ten tribes there. And then Jeroboam, who was one of the military uh, leaders under Solomon, um, was elected by Judah uh, to uh, be king over Judah. And Judah and Benjamin are the two tribes that make up the, the kingdom, the divided kingdom of Judah. And uh, so we see the first division uh, of the kingdom of Israel. And uh, they do so for a long period of time. And uh, during the time of the kings following Solomon and Jeroboam and Rehoboam, there is um, a, a, quite a divisive um, feel between the, the, two, the two entities. Uh, under King Ahab, uh, of course, which was one of the most wicked kings that they had, uh, there was a, a level of cooperation. It was, I wouldn't call it peace, I wouldn't call it a united kingdom again. Um, but they did at least cooperate together a little bit better and again upon his, uh, upon his death there was uh, again a great division between them and uh, that kind of brings us to where we were. We left off there with um, uh, the kingdom kind of dividing <coughs> last week at the end of 1 Kings. So uh, th- from this point forward uh, there are a line of, of kings that are listed and in chapters 1 through 17 which is um, about two-thirds or so of the first part of the book of 2 Kings, we will find, and this will help you when you go to study this book, we will find that there is an alternating account of uh, some kings of Israel and then they'll back up and they'll cover, okay, the kings of Judah during that same period of time. And then they'll go back to the kings of Israel for a while and then they'll back up and take that same period of time with the kings of Judah. And so in in... Chapters 1 through 17, you'll find an alternating um, history of of Israel and Judah. And you need to keep that in mind as you read that you're not misunderstanding uh, who who that history is dealing with. Uh, It does make some differences as you go through the book and study those. Once chapter 17 ends, Israel goes into captivity, um, and Judah is now the only... Uh, the only kingdom that's left at that point. So from chapter 18 through chapter 25, uh, the reading is a little easier. It flows a little better because it's not the alternating histories. It's not going back and forth, and um, you're moving ahead chronologically and then having to go back chronologically and go uh, through it again uh, with a different kingdom. So it helps us uh, in chapter 18 through chapter 25. So uh, if you can kind of help keep that structure of this book in mind, it does help with the reading of it and the understanding of it. Again, we don't know for sure who the author of the book of Kings was uh, when it was originally written. There's a lot of evidence that it could have been Jeremiah. Um, There are some reasons for that. The style of the writing matches uh, the style of Jeremiah. There's no doubt that there was a, um, a historian and yet a prophet that was the writer or the compiler of a lot of this. We did find a couple of other sources. Uh, that some of the events that are recorded in First and Second Kings were pulled from. We talked a little bit about those, <coughs> excuse me, last week. Primarily, uh, once the nation divided, there was uh, 19 consecutive kings um, that were evil, that did evil. And last week we gave you a handout of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. And you'll find that there were 19 consecutive kings. The nation of Israel never once had uh, a a good king uh, during this time period, all the way up until uh, the captivity. And so uh, the Israelites, uh, who are the northern kingdom, uh, after 19 kings of of ungodliness are brought into captivity, and uh, they're brought into captivity under the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the Assyrian Empire. And this Assyrian Empire uh, was kind of the world power. They were back and forth with the Egyptians uh, over a period of time from the time that the Israelites left uh, Egypt. Uh, Of course, God destroyed Egypt. They were not as powerful at the time, but they kind of alternated back and forth over the next few uh, hundred years, uh, being the world power with the Assyrians. And finally, the Assyrians kind of became the dominant power of the time. And settled in. And they were the ones that took uh, Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, uh, captive. And uh, God brings them into judgment because of their disobedience, uh, their idolatry, and their immorality. And those are always the two uh, things that seem to be the downfall of Israel. They begin to uh, get involved with other nations and they begin to intermarry. And it's not long before they begin to take. Uh, 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 the idea of of idolatry from those uh, nations. And once idolatry takes place, oftentimes, because of the type of uh, religion that the idolatry was about, uh, immorality came into play. And uh, these two things were always, or seemingly always, the downfall whenever Israel would turn from God and follow after the idols. (coughs) Um, Judah lasts... Uh, About 160 or so years longer uh, before they go into captivity. They uh, finally fall and go into captivity with the Babylonian Empire. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Uh, They last a little bit longer, but but Judah had uh, eight kings that were somewhat uh, after the things of the Lord. They only had two that the book of Kings speaks of that said that did right in the eyes of the Lord. And that was was Asa, uh, who was early on in Judah's history, and uh, Jehoshaphat, who followed right after Asa. And those two uh, were the ones that did right, the the Bible says and uses this phrase, did right in the eyes of the Lord. And um, there were six others that uh, at least turned the country from idolatry and back towards worship of God. And because of that, God extended. Uh, The last one was Hezekiah. Uh, who right before the Babylonian uh, captivity um, and and, and the things that took place there. And if you'll remember, he was uh, one who um, did right in the eyes of the Lord. And uh, so we um, kind of understand the structure of this book, a little bit of the background, how it's kind of divided, how it works as far as reading through it. Um, The time to the Assyrian from the time of Solomon until the Assyrian captivity, is about 131 years, uh, just to kind of give you a time frame. Uh, So it's a very short period of time that Israel goes from probably the height that it had been under Solomon as far as its influence, its power, um, having God's hand of blessing upon it, to the place where they are literally brought into into captivity and, and their capitals are destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and uh, God says He's not dealing with them any longer at that point. And, um, and He literally just kind of stops for a while dealing with the nation of Israel uh, at that point. Uh, and of course, then uh, Judah uh, lasts a little bit longer uh, than that. And um, well, let's see here. Let's talk about the Christ of Second Kings. So each of the Old Testament books that we've been dealing with, we've been trying to show... Uh, clearly how Christ is pictured in him. A lot of people say that Christ is not found in the Old Testament, yet oftentimes He is very clearly pictured um, in the Old Testament. And so let's take a, f- a little bit of a look at this. <coughs> uh, there's not any real direct picture of Christ in the Old Testament, but there's, there's a couple of events that are very, very crucial. The uh, daughter of Jezebel, whose name was Athaliah, is mentioned um, in Second Kings, and Athaliah is significant because she comes in and she tries to destroy the line of David. Literally, just goes through and starts killing uh, all of them that that they can that she can, and uh, she does not succeed. There's one that is left, and that is Hezekiah, who continues the line of David, and she does not succeed and. Just that event alone helps, to, helps us to see uh, Christ because God had promised David. If you'll remember the covenant that God made with David, He said that His kingdom, His throne, would be an eternal throne. He gave a promise that the coming Messiah would be through His line, through, his, uh, through the line of David, that He would have an eternal um, uh, uh, descendant upon the throne of David. And so God promises this. And so the event of uh, this, this, this wicked queen, Athaliah, trying to destroy David's line, and yet God preserving it, uh, again, helps point us to Christ. It helps us to see that God is going to keep his word and allow the Messiah to come through the line of David. And so even just that event is one, one great thing. Uh, Elijah is mentioned in 2 Kings. Elijah served during the time of Ahab, who was a very, very wicked king. And uh, Elijah is uh, more along the lines of uh, symbolizing uh, uh, John the Baptist. (coughs) And um, he um, is pictured in the New Testament as uh, being a a shadow of John the Baptist. Let's take a look at some of those passages real quick. And uh, turn with me, first of all, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter number 11. And you can hold your place in 2 Kings. And we'll look at a few verses in Second Kings here in just a few moments. Matthew chapter 11, and let's look down to uh, verse number 14. <coughs> and um, uh, let's see here. The, uh, Jesus is speaking here, just to give you the context of the chapter, you can go back and read the first part of it earlier. Jesus is speaking here how John the Baptist had come and was rejected. And in the course of discussing John the Baptist, he starts, let's go in verse 13, and we'll start there. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you will not receive it, this is Elias, which was, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. So again, he's trying to uh, express that John the Baptist was kind of had the, this uh, connection with the Old Testament view of Elijah. Look also, if you will... In uh, Matthew chapter number 17. Matthew chapter number 17. And uh, once again, we'll look at verse number 10. <coughs> Excuse me. The setting here is now uh, the uh, time of transfiguration. And in verse number 10, <coughs> his disciples asked him, saying, Why then saith the scribes that Elias must come first? And thank you, Brother Lane. And uh, Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall surely uh, shall fir- uh, tr- <laughs> Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer them. Then the disciples understood that he spoke unto them of John the Baptist. So even Jesus referred to. Uh, Elias as being a picture of uh, John the Baptist. Now look, if you will, in Luke chapter number 1, and let's see another account here, another gospel account. Luke chapter number (coughs) 1, and verse number 17, Luke chapter 1, and verse number 17, And he shall go before him, now again, speaking here of John the Baptist being before Christ, he's the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so three different references in the New Testament that show that Elijah was a picture of John the Baptist. And uh, Elijah was a, a very strong prophet. Uh, he preached the law. Uh, he preached, uh, he preached uh, uh, repentance of sin. Uh, he was very, very strong in some of these issues. Um, whereas Elisha would be more a picture of Christ. Elisha preached more about grace and forgiveness and hope and even the idea of Elijah being the forerunner of Elisha. And so if you were to take those two men together, again, I think we see a parallel given, an illustration, if you will, an Old Testament illustration of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the forerunner, John the Baptist, being before him. And so we kind of see Christ pictured here, even though he's not directly mentioned or directly referred to in 2 Kings, we do find some connection to him. And again, this is going to be the case throughout each of the Old Testament books. There's always some indication of the coming Christ. <coughs> Let's look at the key, the key uh, things about kings. The key word here is captivity. It's uh, probably the, the uh, overwhelming subject matter of uh, the, the book. If you were to take one, one particular great idea or one thought uh, over it, it would deal with the captivity uh, both of Israel and of Judah, as judgment for their disobedience and uh, their idolatry, uh, their adultery, and the fact that they were a divided kingdom. They, were, they had a lot of division between them. And uh, you'll find this a recurring theme. Uh, there are two, I think, key passages that, that point us to that, and we're going to look at the two key passages of 2 Kings uh, this morning. So let's first turn to 2 Kings chapter number 17. Second Kings chapter number 17. <coughs> Excuse me. I've done really good on coughing here recently until this morning. And it uh, seems like it's coming back. Second Kings chapter 17. And uh, let's look in verse number 22, and we'll read verses 22 and 23. This is one of the key passages, I think, the key verses that are found here. For the children of Israel walked in the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. Uh, they departed not from them. All the time of Israel uh, in following through what they were dealing with, they they walked in the sins of Jeroboam. They never departed from that. It didn't matter which king was in power at the time. They never departed from that. And notice what it says here, they did this, they departed not from these these sins of Jeroboam. What were the sins of Jeroboam? They were idolatry, primarily, and then adultery. Come on in, folks. Good to see you here this morning. And uh, we have idolatry, uh, we have adultery, and then, of course, the division. And these are the sins of Jeroboam. And until the Bible says that they did not depart from them, notice verse 23, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away uh, out of their own land unto Assyria uh, to Assyria unto this day. Um, the first portion of the book of Kings, all the way up through chapter 23, was more than likely written for prior to the Babylonian captivity uh, and the Assyrian captivity, because... Or prior to the Babylonian captivity, I'm sorry, because a couple of references, and this is one of them, makes reference to some things happening unto this day that changed when the Babylonian captivity came into being. The last two chapters of the, of the book deal with a few events that took place at the release uh, of Israel from the Babylonian captivity, uh, uh, from their uh, captivity that continued on. And... Uh, were probably written sometime after that time of, of captivity. So understand that Israel is is consistently um, following after uh, the the sins of Jeroboam. They are not they're not departing from it. They're solid in their idolatry, even though there are there are times throughout that period where God gives warning. God does not sit there and let them just do this without getting any warning at all. He sends some prophets their way. And these prophets are very, very strong prophets. In the northern kingdom, which is Israel, where we just spoke about here, in the northern kingdom, we had Elijah. Elijah is probably one of my favorites, to be honest with you. He's the one that took the uh, prophets of Baal to task and uh, had them go up on the Mount Carmel and... They, uh, they were up there to do a challenge, and he said, Let the God who answers with fire be God. And they got done, and uh, of course the, the prophets of Baal did everything they could to get God, their God to answer by fire, and of course he was no God at all, so he didn't answer. And then Elijah prays. He prays a very simple prayer. And the fire falls. And once, once the fire fell, Elijah, the, the people of Israel, he said, Are you convinced now? Are you for me? And they said, yes. He said, if you're for me, he said, I want you to go out here and find all these prophets. I want you to slay them with the sword. Kill them all. Get rid of them. This is how bold Elijah is. I mean, he's, he's not a man to mince words, is he? He comes before Israel and he says, thus saith the Lord. He, he's willing to go and meet face to face with Ahab, even though he knows that his life is in danger. I wish that we had more Christians like Elijah. I really do. I wish I was more like him myself that there would be that boldness, that holy boldness about us. And uh, so we we see Elijah during this time. We also see Elisha, uh, of course, who did... uh, He asked for a double portion (coughs) of the power that Elijah had uh, of God. And uh, it's interesting to see that by the end of his life and at the end of his life, while he was even being put into the burial tomb, another miracle was performed. And it did exactly twice as many miracles... Um, as Elijah did. And uh, then we see two others that were during this time period in in the nation of Israel in the northern kingdom. And that was uh, Amos. I don't know if many of us realize that Amos was during this period of time. And also Hosea. If you take time to read, uh, those are called minor prophets, not because they were minor, but because the books are rather small that they wrote. But if you take time to read Amos and Hosea, you'll have a little bit of background as to the setting that they're writing in, the time period that they're writing in. They're writing during these 19 wicked kings of Israel and trying to get the nation of Israel to hear and to repent and to come back to God. And uh, we find here in this key verse, verse number 23, "...until the Lord removed Israel out of His sight." He said, "By all his servants, the prophets, as he had said, uh, by all his per- servants, the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land into, into Assyria unto this day. God, God took them out of His sight; He removed them. We don't, we don't see God at this point. Once they go into captivity, they pray, and a lot of." Uh, a lot of things are, are taking place during this time period. Their, their hearts are sorrowful. They're praying and asking for God's deliverance, and it seems like He's not listening for a long period of time. Aren't you glad God's the merciful God? Because even through all of the captivity, He still keeps a remnant of the nation of Israel. He keeps them in check. In, in, he keeps them uh, to, to, to survive and to do things. And to continue to, to be the seed of David and for the Messiah to come through that line. What an amazing thought. Then we have the second key passage, which deals not with the northern kingdom of Israel, but deals with the southern kingdom of Judah. <clears throat> and um, if you will, let's turn to uh, chapter 23, verse number 27. Chapter 23, and verse number 27. Again, Judah lasts a lot longer than Israel because they did have eight somewhat good kings that would do, according to God, what God wanted and would give a reprieve from the idolatrous practices. And so God spared them a little bit longer. In verse number 27, the Bible says, "...and the Lord said, I will remove Judah also." Out of my sight. Not only has he done this with Israel, the t- the, northern, the ten northern tribes, but he's now taking the two southern tribes and saying we're going to also remove them out of our sight. Notice this as I have removed Israel and will cast off his, this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, my name shall be there. So I'm not only going to take Judah and, and get them out of my sight he says, but their, their city is going to be overthrown, the temples going to be overthrown. We find this happening under Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire. <coughs> if you can remember back to your high school days, a long time ago, when you studied world history, all right, uh, we had the Egyptians, Mesopotamia, all that stuff. And the Egyptians were a major power really until the Israelites left and, and God destroyed Pharaoh and all his chariots. And they, they never were quite the empire that they were prior to that. There were times that they came into power, but they just were not ever what they were before that time. The Assyrians kind of back and forth with them. Finally, the, Assyrian, uh, the, the Assyrians become the kind of the world power for a while. On the heels of that, about hundred and some years, 160 or so years later, uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes on the scene. He comes on a mighty, mighty power, and he comes through and he uh, defeats what is then the known world. He becomes a world empire, Babylon. And he does so many times by, by setting siege around the city. They would take an army and basically surround the city and cut everything off and would starve the people, basically. And they did that to Jerusalem. And they, uh, the first captivity, uh, they took uh, Daniel and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three fellows and Daniel were in the first captivity. Uh, We find Jeremiah during this time is also prophesying. We find Ezekiel uh, during this time is also prophesying. And uh, each of them during different periods, but uh, contemporaries to each other. And this is under the captivity of Judah uh, primarily. But then uh, sooner or later, uh, Babylon overtakes the Assyrian Empire. So uh, by reason of that, Israel and Judah both come under the Babylonian captivity uh, at that point. During these years uh, of these kings before the Babylonian Empire uh, took them over, we have prophets in Judah. And these prophets would be Obadiah, Joel, Isaiah, Micah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, and Habakkuk. And all of these would be uh, prophets that were prophesying in Judah during the time of these, uh, these kings just prior to and even during the first part of the Babylonian captivity. (coughs) I've got these notes and I'll have them available for you after class because it's a lot of information to try to give you a little bit of a background here. The key chapter is chapter number 25. Chapter number 25. And the reason that I believe chapter 25 is the key chapter of this book is because of the idea that God... Uh, does not lose hope. Israel does not lose hope. But God continues to protect and preserve a remnant, which He always does, doesn't He? There's always a remnant. There's always those that's, that will not bow the knee, that will remain faithful to Him. And in chapter 25, we find that He continues to keep hope alive and a remnant alive of godly uh, Israelites. Now, the interesting thing is He doesn't do this uh, in the country of Israel, but he does this you know, under Babylonian captivity. You have Daniel during this time. You have Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego uh, during this time. And uh, you have Jeremiah during this time. You have Ezekiel during this time. So many, many men, that, uh, several men that uh, would not bow the knee that continued to remain true to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues his remnant during this time. Um the main truth, I think, that we can find in this section of the book of Kings is the emphasis that, that is placed on God's judgment. Uh, I think the key word here would be judgment or captivity uh, on the idolatry, the immorality, the disunity. <coughs> there are four different world empires that take place. And so we find uh, in Babylon... Uh, There are some some books of our Bible that are written during that time of captivity. Uh, Just before Babylon, we had the Assyrian uh, Empire, which would be the book of Ruth, was written during the Assyrian captivity. During the Babylonian captivity, we have Daniel writing, we have Jeremiah writing, we have Ezekiel writing. Shortly after the Babylonians fell, and Daniel was still alive at this time because he served under the Medes and Persians. So Daniel survived the entirety of the Babylonian uh, uh, time of their being in power till the time of the Medes and the Persians who conquered the Babylonians and uh, later on became the Persian Empire. Uh, During this time, we have uh, Esther uh, writing in the time of Esther. Uh, We have uh, Ezra, we have Nehemiah, we have Haggai, we have Zechariah, and we have Malachi all during the time of the Mede, Mede and Persian Empire. Esther uh, is the, uh, the uh, mother of uh, Artaxerxes, who is the fellow in Nehemiah, who gave Nehemiah and the children of Israel the permission to go back and to rebuild the temple, or rebuild the walls, and then later on to rebuild the temple. Uh, so you kind of get how all this fits together, how all the books kind of all fit together here. I've get, uh, made a handout on the back table there, you can get it after Sunday school this morning, of the chronology of our Old Testament books, where they fall in line of history of all this. Then uh, after the Medes and the Persians, we have the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great. Uh, we have these, are the silent years. We don't have uh, books written during these time peri- this time period. And uh, shortly after the Grecian Empire, we have the Roman Empire, and during most or part of the uh, Roman Empire, we don't have any writings until Jesus comes on the scene, and uh, he comes on the scene during the Roman Empire, and so that kind of gives us a high-level uh, view of the uh, Second Kings, what it deals with, um, a little bit of its setting. So when we study it, we read it, we'll kind of have a little bit of an idea of whether it's dealing with northern kingdom or southern kingdom. Are they wicked kings? Are they good kings? you know where where are we at in the history of Israel that kind of thing, and um what are the results of it? One of the overlying key truths that I find in this particular book and is so applicable is the long suffering of god uh, nineteen nineteen kings that were wicked nineteen Men that led Israel to idolatry, immorality, and God spared them during that time period before He ever brought judgment. But when He brought judgment, by the time that they got to that point, the the people of Israel could not look at God and say, you don't have any reason to be judging us. They certainly had made their choice time and time and time again. We find even though God is a righteous God and a just God, He is a very long-suffering God. And He is patient with men far more than than He should be, probably. Uh, Far more than I think I would be. He's long-suffering, and I'll be real frank with you, I'm very grateful for that. And you ought to be, too. Because the Bible says were it not for His mercies, we would be consumed every day. I'm thankful we have a long-suffering God. And yes, He's righteous. Yes, He's holy. Yes, He demands uh, the, the, the righteousness of Christ in order to get to heaven. And the only way we can do that is to put our faith and trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and what He did on Calvary. We can never have the righteousness of Christ ourselves by our own works. It's only by putting our faith and our trust in Him for what He's done for us that God can let us into heaven. And when I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when He looks at me, He sees His Son. He sees Christ and allows us into heaven through that means. That's the only way to get to heaven, by the way. A lot of people out there say, oh, there's many paths. and No, there's only one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'm thankful He's long-suffering. Some of us in this room can can attest to this fact, how long we were living a certain way. And God still, when we came to Him, was gracious enough to take us as His children. And uh, if you're here today, you're not saved. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I would encourage you, uh, before this day is over, to give great consideration to putting your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no decision greater... There is no decision greater in your life. Uh, I'm not saying it is not without sorrow. God never promised that it's going to be an easy road. But there is so much joy and contentment and peace in the Christian life and uh, such that it really cannot be described unless you experience it. Words literally would fail to express it fully. So I want to encourage you, if you're here today, you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, that you would give that thought today and, and consider that And um, if you're here and you're saved, we can rejoice in the long-sufferingness of our God. (coughs) All right, let's stand together. And we'll be dismissed in prayer. And then our next service will start here in about 15 minutes. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for Your Word. How it guides and directs us. How it instructs us. And Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit will do a work this morning in our hearts, both in the Sunday school hour and the service to follow. And Lord, that it would not just be a time that we spend to to do our Christian duty of coming to church or to spend an hour or so of our day on Sunday uh, to just do what we're supposed to do so people.